0: Macro View, episode 42. You're listening to the number one daily podcast focused on spreading the logic of liberty. I'm your host, Andrew Smith. Welcome to the Macro View, everybody. So tonight we have a special guest for you. Our guest is Michael Pickens. Michael has coached numerous candidates to record-breaking vote totals and local wins. He's volunteered on campaigns and in the Libertarian Party as a Libertarian Leadership Advocate every year since 2011. He's the author of the book Libertarian Leadership. He's the founder of the Libertarian Leadership Academy. He's the former vice chairman of the Libertarian Party of California. He's the former chairman of the Libertarian Party of Spokane County. And he's the former chairman of the Libertarian Party of Washington and currently working to build out The libertarian party of bellingham with a plan to win every seat on the city council his main focus is to train and inspire libertarian candidates and advocates to reach their full potential and win elections at all levels of government michael puts on live seminars for libertarian groups around the country coaches local groups and campaigns and candidates and has created an online leadership training academy You can learn more by visiting www.LibertarianLeadership.org. So we've got Michael Pickens here. Michael, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about the Libertarian Leadership Academy and some of the success that you've already had.
1: Well, Andrew, appreciate you having me on and appreciate all the listeners listening in right now. So the Libertarian Leadership Academy, we started three years ago at the grassroots ground level, I put on seven seminars, live seminars around the state of Washington, which led to us recruiting 12 candidates to run for state representative. And you gotta understand in 2012 here in Washington state, we had Gary Johnson on the ballot and we had no other libertarians across the state. So for us to have 12 candidates in 2014 running for state rep, we actually had more candidates than all of the third parties combined uh, at the time. and same thing now in 2015 and 2016 so what we do is we train libertarian candidates and activists to reach their full potential right whatever that may be some activists want to run for office some don't some want to be support people whatever it is that they want to do we'd like them to see their full potential and we'd like to help them reach that
0: now in regards to activists that do want to run for office what is it that you advise them to do what's what's the strategy what is it that what's the most important part of running a campaign and what would you tell people that are looking to run for office as a libertarian? What would you advise them to do?
1: Awesome. Well, I know we don't have a lot of time. I can go into lots of details about how to do it, but I can recommend one thing. And if you do this one thing, I could probably guarantee that you're going to win your election. And that is read the book or listen to the book, how to win friends and influence people. And then, follow the rules, follow what they suggest to do. Go out and shake a bunch of hands. That's the advice that I gave Don Myers when I was coaching him. Don Myers ran for city council in Moses Lake in 2015. and told him, go out, shake a bunch of hands, shake more hands. The more hands you shake, the more chances you're going to win. And he did win his election. He beat out the incumbent by 16 votes. So, and it was a surprise victory.
0: Wow. 16 votes victory that's a really really tight victory it's a victory nonetheless so what are the plans moving forward do you do you see more success uh like you've seen already do you you know how do you get out there and pitch the libertarian philosophy i mean you know i i I would argue and coming from the state of washington i would argue that if it weren't for the corruption of the democratic national committee that uh, you know, we would have a socialist president right right now, and and Bernie Sanders did win an electoral vote from the state of Washington. So, what do you do? What do you do to spread the philosophy of liberty?
1: Okay, so first question was, what do we see as far as the future of the Libertarian Party? So, how would I start there? So, as far as what we're doing and my strategy and what we're sharing with state parties and other candidates and activists, there's a couple of things. First thing is to run for office, right? And, and continue to run for office. So if anyone works with me, I get them to commit to running for office a minimum of three times. Because the first time anyone runs for office, you're gonna be learning a lot. That's the foundation building stage of your campaign. You're recruiting new volunteers, you're starting to build your donor base. Right? There is a chance that you can win, but most likely look at it as if I'm just building up my campaign organization. Right? You're building up your own personal brand and you're building up the relationships you have in the community. Right? So the more relationships you have in the community, the more well-known you are, the better your chances of winning, right? the more people's hands you shake, because this is the underlying uh, principle in running for office and you can use it in business and sales, and you can use it for votes, is this. People will purchase from your company if they know you, like you, and trust you more than your competition. And it's the same thing with voting. People will vote for you or vote for your candidate as long as they know the candidate, like the candidate, and trust the candidate more than their opponent. So that's a strategy we use with Don Myers and we use in other elections you have to go out there and get people to know who you are, right? And then once they know who you are, now you gotta get them to like you. Once you get them to like you, now you have to get them to trust you more than your opponent. If you do that, you're gonna get their vote. And the more people you do that with, the more votes you're gonna get. Obviously, the more votes you get, the better chances you're gonna win the election, right? So it all ties in together.
0: So you would say that building that trust is step one, that that's, is that, is that just because that's easier than pitching the philosophy or wh- why is that? Why is step one building the trust?
1: Yes. It, no, it's much easier to develop trust than it is to get people to buy into a philosophy. The, the whole idea of getting them to buy into philosophy takes time. You know, my first book, the subtitle is, uh, planting the seeds for a libertarian future. Right. So you plant a seed. What do you have to do after you plant that seed? You got to water it. Right. And You got to keep watering it. and You got to keep watering it. And that's, you know, dropping the ideas of liberty, dropping our solutions to specific issues. Right. So people can start understanding it. And once they understand it, they can agree with it. So it takes time to get them to buy into philosophy. Much easier to get them to buy into you or to me. Right. Because I shook their hand. I looked at them in the eye. I, you know, was excited to meet them. You know, that right there is so much more valuable than our ideas, unfortunately, to say. But once they understand that we care about them, they're going to care about us and what we have to say, and it's going to be much easier to influence them.
0: So it's about letting them get to know you and and know that you're a good person, know that you care about people, you know, one of the major attacks against the Libertarian Party, mostly by the media and the major parties is, oh, you don't care about poor people, you know, you just want to let poor people starve, whatever it might be. So step one is really letting them get to know you, letting, allowing them to develop trust in you. And then what's next? Do you, do you try to find a single common ground issue or do you go out, you know, all out and pitch the philosophy of liberty?
1: So you just hit it right there. Find common ground on an issue you can agree upon. Once you find common ground, you want to focus on that. So if you're running for office or if you're a volunteer with a candidate running for office and you talk to someone out in the community and you find an issue that you agree upon, then you have to say to that person, hey, we agree on this issue. Help me with my campaign or help my candidate get elected so we can champion this issue. So we can solve it. Police brutality. Great. Let's solve it. Let's get body cams. Let's have more training or whatever it is. Right.
0: So would you say that, you know, finding that single issue, you know, knowing, knowing your constituency, if you're running for office, like for example, you know, if I were going to run for office here in LA, which, which I'm not going to, but if I were going to run for office here in LA, should that be part of the strategy going in is, is, should it be. You know, knowing my constituency, knowing what they're gonna—is uh, there any point of talking about free market economics, or should I stick to issues, social issues that we can all agree on?
1: There's different strategies. So, if you're running for office in a higher office, you know, state rep, right, or city council in Los Angeles or Seattle because of the population, that's a big race, and you're going to need to have some type of foundation uh, built and set up or funding to help you with marketing and advertising and visibility, right? My strategy that I'm talking about right now is more for the local uh, local city council seats, local school board seats, where you can actually shake the hands of the people that are, you're gonna vote, vote for you and can you can win the election that way. There's a more detailed strategy as far as the larger campaigns and organizing teams to win a state rep seat. You got to have a team of people. You got to have, you know, leadership skills to be able to motivate them and inspire them to take action. There's just much more preparation with a larger seat than there is with a local city council seat.
0: So I also know that uh, in, on Facebook we talked a little bit about. In a larger city, in a city like L.A., instead of just going out and running for a city council seat where it's going to cost so much, you're going to have maybe pitching or trying to start an initiative to redistrict or to increase the number of districts so that there's more seats and there's fewer votes that you would need in the future in order to win one of those seats
1: yeah so those people have to do a lot more research and a lot more education as far as building teams you can win a city council seat in la you just have to have a solid team of people to help you win and that takes a lot more practice a lot more you know education as far as how to how to motivate people right it can't be done but it's going off issues as well is an opportunity to recruit a bunch of people who agree with you on that issue and then turn around and run after you ran the initiative on that issue because you have more support. And Aaron, so Aaron Starr ran for city council down in Oxnard, and he almost won this time. But he got his main issue was uh, a tax on, and I may be butchering it, but as far as I understand, it was an increase in sewer rates, is an increase. And infrastructure rate that the citizens were being charged so he ran this initiative to reduce that and he won and he won with the initiative and he almost won with the city council race i was like point zero five percent the initiative launched him and who he is because he was able to rally all these people around this one issue and then he became known as the champion of that issue and He almost won. It was like 0.05% that he lost by.
0: So I've got just a couple more questions for you before we get going on some of the other topics because I know you're involved with the medical marijuana or actually it's the recreational marijuana industry there in Washington State. But just before we get going on some of these other topics, I do want to get to just a couple more questions. Do you fear that if the Libertarian Party starts winning more seats and you continue to have some of the success, do you fear at all that the Libertarian Party may be co-opted by one of the major parties?
1: No, no, I don't. It can happen, but I don't fear it. There's not much that I fear. But as far as, you know, being co-opted— Yeah, it can happen. It definitely can happen. And we're going to do everything we can, and we're going to try to train and teach as many people as possible about the philosophy of liberty and the true issues. So I'm not worried too much.
0: So for a libertarian that's thinking of running for office, but that happens to live in a hotbed of Republicans or Democrats, for whatever reason it may be, you know, maybe it's because of gerrymandering, whatever, would you recommend a libertarian run as a Republican or a Democrat, if they're in one of those areas, and go out and co-opt one of the major parties?
1: So I'm not going to recommend that. However, I'm going to give the strategy if someone who's listening to the show wants to do that. If you're going to run as a Republican or a Democrat, you need to pull a Saul Alinsky books called Rules for Radicals, and you need to be a Democrat, be a Republican, talk the talk right cuz if you're going to run as a democrat or a republican but then talk as if you're a libertarian you're just going to alienate the other republicans or democrats there and you're not going to get the support you need to win if you're going to take the plunge and put the r next to your name just or the d next to your name just go for it be a democrat be a republican get elected and then switch you know then then start talking about liberty once you're elected they can't take that away from you Well, actually, they can with a recall, but but that's probably not going to (laughs) happen. And then at that point, if anyone does that, if if anyone does that that's listening to this right now and they get elected here two years from now or four years from now as a Democrat, as a Republican and want to switch, give me a call. We'll set it up and uh, we'll make sure you have some support at least.
0: (laughs) You're definitely going to need it. You're going to be one of the most hated people there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, look, it's, you know, the the neocons co-opted, the conservative movement, far left-wing progressives co-opted, the liberal movement. I, I mean, it just works.
1: The Republicans are the worst because they'll go up there and they'll tell you they want to reduce taxes and then they get elected and they increase taxes. At least with the Democrats, when they go up there, they say, we want to steal more of your money or take more of your money, increase taxes on the rich or increase P's and fines and whatever they'll just tell you straight up what they're going to do
0: oh yeah totally look at look at george w bush you know he's probably the fourth largest uh government president in the history of the united states probably behind you know woodrow wilson fdr and uh lyndon johnson maybe come before him but even i mean even bill clinton was a smaller government president than george w bush and i would argue that it's actually worse To have a neocon, you know, somebody that poses as a conservative that then goes out and raises, you know, increases the size of government tremendously because small government still gets blamed for all the bad stuff that then comes.
1: It's like Ronald Reagan, right? All the conservatives felt Ronald Reagan is, you know, the guy that wrangled him, you know, with his uh, Reagan tax cut when really taxes went up. He just shifted. If you're going to do it, but if you're going to do it, get elected. If you're going to you know, compromise like that, get elected, and then be a Justin Amash. All
0: right. So one last question on the political side of things, and then we're going to get into some other topics. Um, so if you are going to do something like this, if you're going to try to co-opt the major party, and you know a lot of libertarians don't like to have to uh, be dishonest or, or – Uh, to have to play politics so if you're going to does it make sense can you get elected being a single issue voter and or a single issue uh, uh, candidate and stick to an issue that you know whatever the major dominant party in your area that you know you're going to be able to find common ground on and a lot of common ground on maybe one of their pet issues and you know is it better to do that and then at least bring more people over to the side, even if you don't get elected.
1: If you're going to do that, why not? What if you're if you're going to pull a Saul Alinsky, Just go for it, hundred percent.
0: Now, I, I I want to get to because I know that you have some involvement in the legal marijuana business, and that's I mean it's a booming business right now. You know, I'm I'm personally I'm in the investment industry. Uh, but I've lived in both Colorado and California, two country, two two uh, states throughout the country that have recreationally legalized marijuana now, and yeah. it's a very interesting business. It's something that you know I think that there's still a mix of, of um, I think that there's still a mix of criminal elements within the legal business that give it a bad name. Like here in California, we actually have some you know robbery issues where dispensaries are being robbed. And everybody kind of cries out, i see, you know, this is really, you know, this is run by a bunch of criminals. Tell us a little bit about what your experience, because I know that that's not the case. But tell us a little bit about your experience in the legal marijuana industry. And is it something that you feel as though throughout the country? I mean, obviously, the sentiment's changing. Do you feel as though it's something within our lifetimes we will see prohibition ended at a federal level?
1: Oh, easily. Yeah, we'll definitely see it ended at a federal level, maybe after Trump. So as far as the legal cannabis industry here in Washington State, it is the most highly regulated industry in the state. Not only that, the highest highest tax rate as well. There's a 35% excise tax at the retail side, plus you have city, county, and state sales tax. There's B&O employment tax, business and occupation tax and then you've got federal tax as well on top of that. And when you add it all up together, these retail stores are paying about 75% taxation. That's that's tax. incredible. I mean, I
0: mean and the and the yeah. prices I mean, you guys, I mean you, guys have, you guys have a medical marijuana industry as well, correct?
1: Oh, we did the state destroyed it and now they're giving the medical industry to the retail stores. Wow. Wow. I mean that is just I mean it's it's There's it's, a lot of yeah.
0: It's a, a lot of cronyism,
1: lot, a lot of regulation.
0: So yeah. it's, it's not, quite, not quite the free market that people would expect.
1: No, no, not even close. Yeah, I mean, you could actually go online and you can see all the sales from every store on a day-to-day basis. You could see their margins on what they're purchasing product for and what they're selling product for. It's really bad. Wow. wow. And the government makes that information all public. You know.
0: Now, what about, what about banking? banking? Because I know, I know coming from, from finance the finance industry, I know the anti-money, anti-money money laundering laws are a very, very big obstacle for, uh, for legal marijuana businesses. I know that, I know that it's something that has it – creates, creates, it, you know, it creates opportunity for criminals to get involved in you know, robbing and it puts the, the store, owners store owners at a really high risk. I that, mean is that – do you see, do you see yeah. any improvement in that? Yeah, there is some improvement. There's a couple credit unions that
1: are allowing funds to be stored there. However, they're charging premiums, you know, $5,000 to open the account and $2,000 a month just to have a bank account. That's... So, those. yeah, it's hurting people. The government is stealing money from these companies just because it's the cannabis industry. We did an analysis. If they took the excise tax, Here on cannabis, from 35% and just took it down to 20%, where alcohol is at. It would create over 2,000 new jobs at the medium wage in the state.
0: Wow. And, you know, I'm guessing that there's probably a lot of people that need jobs there, uh, or at least will need jobs within the uh, coming year or so as the minimum wage there continues to increase. Because, statewide, if I'm not mistaken, was it statewide or was it just the city of Seattle that raised the the uh, minimum wage up to $15 an hour.
1: Yeah, statewide, I believe it went to eleven seventy five, and then Seattle took it to 15 But this is what I've been doing. I go around to retail cannabis stores, right? And I, I talk to a lot of bud tenders and purchasing managers, and I talk to them about the excise tax. Because a lot of these people, they're making low wages, right? They're not making minimum right. wage, but they're making $12, $13 an hour, right? So there's a low wages. And, you know, sometimes they'll complain about that. And I let them know the reason why. Like, The owner can't pay you any more money. It's the state. The state is taking all your money. If you want to raise, we've got to lower the taxes. That's the only way it's going to happen. And, and so do, you're able to...
0: Do you get good reception from that? I mean, generally, people vote with their pocketbooks.
1: Definitely. Well, last election, 2016, I had three... Uh, retail store owners that donated to one of the candidates that I asked them to donate to. Two of them gave max donations. That's pretty and These incredible. are people who would not have donated unless I've talked to them and built up the relationship with them, and you know, got them to join the Libertarian Party as members. Everything we need to succeed is out there. We just have to go find it.
0: So, so I am a, a member here in California of the Radical, Radical Caucus, which I believe you probably know is the the anarchist branch of the Libertarian Party. And the Radical Caucus tends to be very involved in the party platform process and developing that. But essentially, it's they're not very they're they're fairly apolitical. They're not very involved in in getting out and voting, and t- tend to be very hardline libertarian. Sure. How do you? Two two parts. Is there a place in the Libertarian Party for the Radical Caucus? And that's question A. And then question B is how do you drive them out to vote while running candidates that can win elections?
1: So I'm friends with a lot of people in the Radical Caucus, and I think I'm a member of the Radical Caucus and the Audacious Caucus and the the Pragmatic Caucus. Um, So there's Timothy Perkins. He's running for city council in Oregon, Salem, Oregon. Right. He just came out with taxation is theft. and He actually said it in an interview and that interview just went viral down there. Um, you can, you can campaign as a radical, you can campaign as a moderate or a pragmatic libertarian. Like, when you go out there and, and when I talk to people, if someone is already on board with a radical issue, I'll agree with them. If they want to take a step in the right direction on an issue, I'll agree with them there yeah, let's move towards that. Let's move towards reducing taxes instead of saying, let's end all taxes, right? I'll agree with them on reducing taxes. That's a win in my mind. And I won't take it any further in that conversation because we just found a place of agreement. So, now, do you,
0: do you find that that's the key to driving out votes is to find people that you, you mentioned earlier, shake hands, get to know people, get out in your community, get people to trust you. That That's step one, right? Step two yeah, is, is then find finding common, common ground, ground and wherever you can find common ground, ground getting people to buy people in. Would, is that what would you would propose. propose? Yeah, correct.
1: Yeah. So if you agree with someone on an issue and you found agreement, now you can ask them for something. Right. Great. You agree with me. We need less taxes. Will you help me get elected so I can reduce your taxation? oh, you want to end police brutality? Great, I agree with you. Let's end police brutality. Can you help me get elected so I can help end police brutality?
0: Now, well, now one th- thing I th- would say would say about the Libertarian Party, and one of the things that I'm sure attracted you to Ron Paul, and one of the things that attracts me to, and, and the reason why I actually went out and voted for Gary Johnson, I may mean, live, live in the state of California, it wasn't really worth very much because when 1% sure. of the vote total was out, Hillary Clinton had already won. Having said that, you know, I tend to believe that libertarians that run as libertarians or the people like Ron Paul who are steadfast in their beliefs, there's something about libertarians where they're not they'd rather lose than give up their principles. Do you feel as though when you find common ground, people say, "You know what? This person actually does believe in this. You know, this candidate actually does believe in this." and given that they actually believe in this you know these other people are just politicians they're going to tell me whatever it takes to get vote- votes and most people seem yeah. to realize that now it's one of the reasons why donald trump did so well a lot of people felt as though he was authentic he had nothing to you know he has he had nothing to gain from becoming president he's already a billionaire and we can disagree with his policies all we want but one of the reasons why a lot of people turned out and voted for him is they felt there was something authentic about him do you think that that libertarians strike that chord with a lot of the people because you're obviously out there canvassing you're getting people to sign up for the party you're getting introducing candidates you're introducing yourself you're introducing the philosophy when you find common ground is that, is that one of the keys is to, is, is to really demonstrate your passion and your principles? Yes. What well, you just said
1: right there, that. the keyword is passion. The keyword is passion because passion shows conviction and commitment. And once people know you're committed, they're going to support you. If you're committed to what they believe, if you guys believe the same thing and they know that you're going to carry the torch on that issue, then they're going to support you. But you got to have that passion.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, it's one of the few reasons why, even though he wasn't the brightest guy in the world and had a number of gaffes, I still went out and, and casted a vote for, for Gary Johnson. He obviously wasn't a radical, um, but he, in general, believed in the principles that he believed in, and most of them were very libertarian, pro-free market policies. So that was one of the reasons why, why I was willing to support him. You know, even though it wasn't, he wasn't the ideal libertarian candidate for president. Now, I do want to close. We're going to have to close up here, but I, I do want to have you one more time go over those numbers because I think they're really important. And it was actually something that inspired me. Maybe it's just because I'm a math nerd, but go go back over those numbers about the 20% that actually turn out to vote. And I, I want people to really have that drilled into their mind to understand that this isn't some. Unsurmountable, unsurmountable task that this, that this is, is, a, is no. something that can actually be done.
1: Yeah. 10.1% of the vote. So if you have 70% of the population registered to vote, 30% of those 70% actually show up to vote. You're looking at, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20% of the population deciding to vote for the rest of everyone else. Right. So let, let's just say it's 20% of the population show up to vote. If we were able to get 10.1 percent of the population to show up and vote for us, we'd be able to win elections.
0: And I think that that's extremely important. And I mean, this this past presidential election is a great example of that. I think your your strategy is actually much more accomplishable. Focus local, uh, you know, win win city council seats. Maybe yeah. eventually win county council seats. Eventually win state house seats, etc. But, but really, really, really local focusing local. local. Having, having said that, that you know, from, from the perspective of the numbers, numbers I mean, this, this past, past presidential election was a great example of that. Overwhelmingly, and I'm just repeating this for my audience, overwhelmingly, the majority of people didn't cast votes. And that's, and that's just that's not just people who are registered to vote. Like the, the majority of people who are registered to vote went out and voted for for uh, the president the presidential election on the top line. But But the majority majority of of the voting population, population, the voting aged population, population, whether they're registered or not, did did not not vote. So it's not like like you need to win 51 percent of the people. You don't need to go out and win. There's 140 million households, whatever it is. As far you don't need to win 70 million people to win the presidency. It's it's something like 35, 40 million people. And at a local level, when you're talking about 13,000 votes being casted, 15,000 votes being casted, I mean, you only need to get 7,500 people to turn out. Now, your strategy is go and meet people first, build that trust, and then find issues that they actually care about that you can agree with.
1: Let me tell you what I'm doing right now. This is a strategy I'm implementing right now been to two Chamber of Commerce meetings, been to three local Toastmasters meetings, been to a Business Networking International meeting, been to three Chamber of, or City Council meetings. Right? I'm starting to show myself in the, in the community. I'm starting to introduce myself to people and meet new people. Right? And when I go back, I'll, I'll see those same people again, and I'll shake their hands. And then I start to become familiar to them. They start to become familiar to me. Right? And then that's how trust is built over time. So when I run for city council, if I decide to, in 2019, I'll have a a firm base over the next two years of building my relationships in the community and building my uh, profile. And you're going to be able to watch this over the next couple of years. I'll keep going to city council meetings. I already know the topic that I'm going to talk about in two weeks. right? I'm going to keep going to every one of them, and I'm going to keep getting up to that mic and talking about issues that are important to me with passion. And we'll keep gaining supporters every single time.
0: And I, I think it's 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 absolutely great. So I want to close with this last question. Do you see, in your lifetime in my lifetime, we're both fairly young guys, do you see a libertarian future?
1: Yes, I do. I see a libertarian president. Actually, that, that's the goal. If I hit that, if we're able to help get a libertarian elected president, I would be happy.
0: And that would be... And that would be An absolutely absolutely phenomenal phenomenal upset upset for the powers that be. Um, Yeah. Michael, Michael, I really really do do appreciate appreciate you coming on and talking about this. this, It's it's very inspiring. You know, I I found some of your strategies to be very comprehensive and and informative. And, you know, I don't know very many people out there that are having success pitching libertarian ideas. So I, I really do appreciate your time. Keep doing what you're doing, and please keep us updated. I follow you on Facebook. Uh, you know, I know you're, you you use the hashtag Rise of the Libertarians a lot for people that don't follow you. You, know, you yeah. can check that out. And please do not forget, if you're out there, if you're a Libertarian, if you're, you have political aspirations, if you're thinking of running, go and check out www.LibertarianLeadership.org. Michael has already been successful in getting Libertarian candidates elected at the local level and it's just going to get better and better please 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 come back and visit us again i definitely will uh we'll be in touch with you and and we'll have to have you on the macro view again thanks so much michael
1: andrew thank you so much for having me you have a great one absolutely,
0: absolutely. Take, take care, care. Oh, bye all right everybody that was michael pickens michael is a libertarian leadership expert He has helped people to get elected. You just heard his story. You heard the future of the Libertarian Party. For those of you that aren't listening to this episode already from tonight's show page, don't forget to check it out. It's macroviewnews.com. I'll have links to Michael's website. I'll have links to uh, other resources that you can find. I mentioned the Radical Caucus. You can find that. Michael mentioned the Pragmatic Caucus and the Audacious Caucus. Um, We'll have links to that. We'll have links to the Libertarian Party platform. And and don't forget, while you're there, sign up for our email list. That way you can get new episodes of the macro view delivered straight to your inbox. Now, also, while you're on our website, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. It's a great way to stay in touch. And most importantly, do not forget to share us with your friends and your family and help me to spread the logic of liberty. Hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their evening. Take care folks. You have been listening to the Macro View. Tune in tomorrow night and every weeknight at 9.30 PM Pacific Time to help spread the logic of liberty.